Welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast, where we help women who have lost children to build a life of purpose and joy. Our aim is to encourage your hope in the future and strengthen your confidence. I'm your host, Julie Clough, Life Coach and Certified Grief Recovery Specialist. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Episode 13, Processing Grief. We're going to talk about grief. We're going to talk about the raw grief, the persistent grief, the long-term grief, even the lingering grief, and how to process it. But first, I want to mention that if you would like to connect with me, feel free to email me at julie at buildalifeafterloss.com, or you can give me a call at 832-515-4632. I love hearing from you. I've heard from a few of you this past week, and I love talking to you about your story, your struggles, and even your hopes for the future. And also, you can always go to the website to connect with me there at buildalifeafterloss.com. So let's talk about grief. Grief is normal. Grief is a natural response to loss. And often, we talk about getting past pain or loss or grief or discomfort so we can go back to living real life. Have you ever thought that or said that before, it finally dawned on me a few years ago that this is real life, that going through the grief, going through the loss, nothing can be more real than that. Nothing can be more real than experiencing and allowing the real, raw, painful emotions that come up because of loss, especially the loss of a child. And it's okay to not feel okay. Let's talk about tears, for example. This is from the Grief Recovery Institute. They said, have you ever noticed that in our language, almost all the words that describe the completely normal and natural reaction to emotional pain, crying, are negative? They say things like lost it, or broke down, or went to pieces. Our tears and our emotions have a purpose, and now there is even clear scientific evidence to show we often feel better after a good cry. Did you know tears of grief contain, and I'm going to botch the, how this is pronounced, but leucine incomphalin. I think I'm close. This is a natural painkiller released when the body is under stress. So when you tell someone to stop crying, you are asking them to deny themselves natural pain relief. Fascinating. Another thing I want to say about tears is in the grief recovery method, We teach people not to apologize for their tears. This is a natural reaction, tears are, and we shouldn't feel like we have to apologize for our tears, for crying. One of the things that I've noticed lately as I've looked at some grief groups on Facebook, and and I think I've probably mentioned this before, is there's a lot of messages of hopelessness. And I want to give you some examples of some of the quotes that I've seen recently. Here's one that says, I do not believe the loss of a child is something one ever overcomes. One puts on the faces one needs, but inside one bleeds and bleeds. That's a quote from Elizabeth Berg. Here's another one. The pain that grief causes is unbearable. There seems to be no consolation, no gifts, no words, no action on the part of anyone that can remove the pain from my life. Inasmuch as I have caring people surrounding me, I stand very much apart in the face of grief, for my grief belongs to me alone. That's from Terry Campo. Here's another one. 
And just like that, without warning, it starts hurting all over again. Those reminders are everywhere. There's no hiding from child loss. The pain is always present and the grief has become a permanent resident within the heart. It hurts so bad to lose a child. That's from Clara Hinton. And lastly, people think that I have survived your leaving. What they don't understand is that I have to relearn how to survive each day because each day you're still gone. That's the end of that fourth quote. These messages are understandable. When we are in our early raw grief, these messages seem valid and truthful. And they're the messages that our brain tells us. Our brain tells us that we are never, ever going to get past this all-consuming grief pain that we're experiencing. But here's the danger that I see in these messages. If we believe that we will always be, or we must always be grieving for our child, then we start to experience some happiness or joy. And if we start to look for more in our life, then our underlying belief that we must always grieve will take over and rob us of that happiness and that joy or that purpose. Because we start believing that if we love our child enough, we must always grieve. But what if we can believe that, yes, we will go through a period of mourning and grief. It might be six months or six years, but that we can love our child and be happy and be joyful and be fulfilled. One of the reasons I love the grief recovery method is because there's so much hope. So here are some of the messages from the Grief Recovery Institute. As we grieve and complete the events and behaviors of our past, we become open to our ability to be happy. Incomplete relationships create unresolved grief, and unresolved grief creates incomplete relationships. Grief is normal and natural. It is not pathological condition or a personality disorder. It is never too soon to heal your heart. Overcoming grief, you can't go over, under, or around it. You must go through it. We must grieve and complete our unmet hopes, dreams, and expectations. Loss and grief are about all the human emotions caused when everything we're familiar with changes. I want to repeat that first message again. As we grieve and complete the events and behaviors of our past, we become open to our ability to be happy. And here's the dilemma. We are taught from our earliest ages that sad, painful, or negative feelings were to be avoided at all costs. All of our education is centered around our intellect. We receive virtually no education around our emotions, around our feelings, around how to be a human. As a human, we not only have intellect and thought processes, but we have feelings and we need to learn how to feel those feelings. We have people from all stages and experiences of loss that are listening to this podcast. And I try to address a range of experiences in each episode And as always, remember to take away and incorporate what works for you right now and leave behind the rest. My early days were rough, as I'm sure yours were or are. It's all a tremendous blur of hopelessness and discouragement, anger, despondency, disbelief, walking around in a fog and 
this nothingness and yet this excruciating emotional pain. I was in this painful fog of differing degrees for three years before I found some true light and some lifting of that darkness. In those early days, I had low expectations for myself. And yet I struggled with those low expectations. Looking back, I see that I would have been better off if I'd had the low expectations and didn't struggle so much with them. I spent a lot of time in bed. I watched a lot of TV, shows like Hoarders and Celebrity Rehab, for real. Weird to look back and think those shows were appealing to me at all, because they would not be appealing to me at all right now. But at the time, those were the kinds of things that I wanted to watch and listen to. I read a book called Jesus Wept, and it's written by Dennis and Joyce Ashton. And Dennis is a licensed psychotherapist, and Joyce is a nurse, and they wrote this book about the loss of their son. And at the beginning of the book, they say, this is the introduction, I'm just going to share some bits and pieces from their experience. But at the beginning of the book, they introduce themselves, and Joyce says, Dennis is a licensed psychotherapist. He has worked 25 years as a counselor and an agency director. He has worked for years with people who have suffered major losses in their lives. He has also worked with bereaved parents. However, he realized that night, the night that their 14-year-old son died in the hospital, that he had not fully understood the degree of pain and depth of sorrow experienced by those he had counseled. He had successfully helped others, but was now lost to how to help himself. Isn't that interesting? They go on to talk about all the different losses they had in their married life, including the death of a full-term baby, the death of parents, grandparents, friends, relatives. They had experienced um, infertility, miscarriage, disabilities, life-threatening illness, rebellious children, difficult career relocations, demanding responsibilities, and a serious fire that destroyed much of their home. They also said that they had witnessed the suffering of close relatives as they endured suicide, marital discord, divorce, homosexuality, abuse, unemployment, singleness, cancer, midlife, and empty nest syndrome. They go on to say, we realized now more completely that life's joys and triumphs are often accompanied with significant losses and pain. We began searching more earnestly for ways to help ourselves and others deal with adversity and find healing. We believed that our weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. That's a quote from Psalms 55. We began our search for the promised joy. We soon discovered that all life's challenges have at their core some type of loss. Most of life's disappointments and trials result from loss and will bear grief. In fact, one in every four individuals is experiencing some form of grief at any given moment. Our own journey through loss and grief has become our greatest teacher. Both of us have worked with and served hurting clients, friends, and relatives for many years now. We would like to share the insights we and they have discovered as we journey together through the grief process. As I thought about having read this book years ago after Carrie and David died, I remembered particularly Joyce sharing how difficult it was for her to go back to work. And I found this quote from the book. I had a difficult time returning to work at the hospital after Cameron died. I was working one day a week at the time in a pediatric unit. 
I was usually the charge nurse, and after Cam died, it seemed more frightening to care for very ill babies and children. I felt greater responsibility and vulnerability after personally coming to know the trauma of having a child die. I also felt I had lost some of my ability to focus, remember, and perform certain medical procedures. Joyce is certainly experiencing or expressing her experience of things that we're all very familiar with. This feeling of not being capable in the beginning, of not being able to focus, of not being able to perform or do the things that we've been able to do in the past. When we are processing grief, this is a normal part of that grief process. Joyce goes on to say in a later part, she says, for most grief work is a work of feelings. If we don't acknowledge and honestly express our painful emotions, we deprive ourselves of the very purging that permits us to eventually abandon them. It is extremely draining to keep negative feelings hidden. That this is so important in this, in, on this topic of processing grief, because that is the process. The process that we must feel our feelings. We must find a way to permit those feelings to come forward. We must acknowledge and we must honestly express our painful emotions, like Joyce mentioned here. She goes on to say, we must give ourselves permission to acknowledge all our emotions, regardless of what we are experiencing. Acknowledging Emotions is the surest way to master them. Acknowledging and accepting emotions occurs most when they are expressed and validated in a safe and supportive environment. This involves facing the pain and taking the time and effort to process our grief. So important. When you've lost a child, you have to give yourself that space to grieve. You have to make room for the grief and the adjustment. It's important to learn the steps of healing, to allow yourself the time and the space to heal. It's also important to get the education to really learn about grief and grief recovery. It's a gift that you give yourself. Um, It's something we don't learn in our world unless we seek the education, unless we seek the information. It's not something that's readily available. And that's what I love about the grief recovery method. And it's why I went through the training to become certified as a grief recovery specialist so I could help other people with this process because it's so important and it's so lacking. Grief is all about coming to terms with what we wish was more, better, or different. As soon as someone passes away, there's an incomplete relationship. And we we need to find a way to complete that work. And that's what the grief recovery method is all about. I had gone through a lot of my grief after um, Carrie and David died in Texas, where we were living. And we were there well, they died in 2007. And in about 2010 was when I really started to feel like I was coping. Not only was I coping, but I was starting to really live my life again. And then in 2011, shortly after that, we had a sudden move to Kentucky. I felt like my grief started all over again. And let me explain why. When I was in Texas, all of my friends, so many of my close friends, there knew Carrie and David. 
they were willing to listen to me talk about them and the memories. And they were also willing to share memories that they had of Carrie and David. And then when I moved to Kentucky, it was like they were no longer part of my family because nobody there knew them. It was like losing them all over again. I was hundreds of miles away from their grave. And I was hundreds of miles away from my friends who had known them while they were growing up. It was hard, but it was good. It allowed me to process that remaining loss, that remaining piece of the loss. I never went back to that really deep, dark place. I think that was more frightening than anything. When you've been in that really, really hard place, then we become fearful of our emotions. And so when bad emotions, what we deem as bad or hard emotions or painful emotions come up again, we worry that we're going to go right back to that really, really dark, hard place. Looking back, I realized that the fear of those hard emotions was worse than the emotions themselves. So if we will just allow ourselves to feel what we're feeling, it's interesting how quickly it dissipates. Have you ever had the experience where maybe something triggered a memory and you kind of went into this grief place and you're driving down the road and you're crying. And because you're alone, you allow yourself to cry. You you allow the tears to come. You think those tears are going to go on and on and on. And yet within 10 minutes, you feel better. It's kind of miraculous to feel such strong, heavy emotions and then release them and find out it wasn't even as bad as you thought it was going to be. Now, I know that there are long nights where the tears go on and on and on. But for the most part, once we get past the really hard, raw pain, and I'm not going to tell you how long that lasts because that's different for everyone. But once we get past that, we can, we can fear those feelings so much that we make it worse. So when the grief, the waves of grief come in and out, if we just allow them, then we can process those emotions. And I think you'll be surprised if you let go of the worry about them. I think you'll be surprised at how much easier they are to feel and get through. And when you get to the other side of it, it feels better. Maybe it goes back to those pain-relieving hormones or chemicals that our tears release. But whatever it is, I truly feel that our worry and our fear of our emotions is a lot of times a lot worse than the actual emotions. I look at my move to Kentucky. I look at the sorrow that I went through again. I look at the grief that I felt again. And I often think that if I had just let go of the fear and the worry that it wouldn't have been as bad. I was heaping more negative emotion on top of emotion. And that's another thing. Negative emotion is not a bad thing. Our emotions come from what we're thinking. Our thoughts create our feelings. And we we think of triggers. Something happens, we go, oh, it triggers me. Well, it triggers you because you have a thought. Let me give you an example. I would often drive past my daughter's friend's street And a lot of times this would trigger a lot of deep emotion for me. It would trigger a a lot of the sorrow. 
It wasn't the street itself. I could have driven past any street. It was the memories. It was my thoughts about those memories. It was my thoughts about wanting those things to still be happening, wanting to still be taking her over to her friend's house. It was the thoughts that created the feelings. It's not the actual thing that triggers our our feelings as much as it is our thoughts about those things. Sometimes it was seeing the kid's friends. Sometimes that would trigger thoughts about what might have been, what might have been more or different. Just even today, I drove past a bad car accident in my neighborhood. Someone had ran into the side of this car and there was a person trapped in the car. And when I drove past, there was a, a lot of help there, but it triggered the thoughts about my own accident. And those thoughts then create feelings. And so we can examine our thoughts and we can understand where those feelings are coming from. And when we understand where those feelings are coming from, we have a little more control. Now in the early days, you may not have as much control because there's not as much time between the trigger and the emotion showing up. But as time goes on, there's more and more time between something happening, a circumstance, a situation happening. We have a thought about it and then we have a feeling about it and there's more space. So we have a little more control. At the same time, it's okay if we want to feel bad about it. That's the beauty of our emotions. We get to choose. We don't want to choose to be happy that our child isn't here. That's not necessarily what we want. That's the point of being human. The point of being human is not to be happy all the time. The point of being human is to feel it all, to allow ourselves to feel happy when we choose to feel happy and to feel sad when we choose to feel sad. That is the work. In those early days, we need to allow for the adjustment We need to give the adjustment to our new circumstances attention. We need to recognize that it's going to take time and effort and that maybe we're not going to be in a place to do all the things that we used to do before. Maybe you're the PTA mom. Maybe you are even the PTA president. And then something happens to your child and that is just too much. And guess what? That's okay. That's okay. That's okay to look at your life and say, where can I make space? Where can I clear the space so that I have time to process my grief, to feel my feelings, and to adjust to my new circumstances? What adjustments can I make? Looking back, I feel like my time during my grief and in my adjustment were very meditative. I spent a lot of time really pondering the meaning of life and really pondering what I wanted and really pondering God and my existence and my children's existence and why were they gone and I'm still here. Those were beautiful moments, actually. They were painful, but at the same time, beautiful moments. And I appreciate, especially now, the insight that I received during that time. I've met people who have been stuck in grief for 20 or 30 years after their child died. And I hesitate to call that stuck in grief, but you know, I, I want to talk about what I mean by stuck in grief. So we identify as a grieving person early on, right? And if we identify ourselves as a grieving person over and over again, that can become our identity. 
So our identity is not about a role we play or a condition or a circumstance. It is about who we are. For example, here's some descriptions of identity. I am honest. I am brave. I am compassionate. I am kind. That's who you are. Let me give you some more examples. You are not a diabetic. You are a person who currently has diabetes. You are not your depression. You are a person who currently deals with depression. A person with cancer doesn't say they are cancerous. They are someone who is currently dealing with cancer. So you are not a bereaved mother. You are a mother that currently grieves your child. Does that distinction make sense to you? I remember after Carrie and David died, asking myself things like, was I like this before? Like I would have thoughts and feelings or moods and, and I, I had trouble kind of distinguishing between was this how I was before or was this a result of the grief that I'd gone for through? So I would notice a habit or a trait or sometimes, um, think that, that I started, that it started after they died. But then I would think about it more and realize, no, I was doing that before too. It's an interesting thing to, to think about. So we want to establish an identity that is independent from circumstance, that is independent from a title. If you worked at a job, let's say you're a nurse, like uh, Joyce Ashton that I read a little bit about to you before. If you're a nurse and then you retire, does that mean your identity is gone? No. Being a nurse was a role that you played, but your identity is who you are. When I talk about being stuck in grief is if we identify over and over again as a grieving person, then all of a sudden that becomes our identity. And we don't want that to be our identity. Yes, we grieve. Yes, we make adjustments. Yes, we take the time, the energy to go through the steps to process our grief, to process those emotions, to learn and grow through that. You know, there's studies now that are showing that people really truly grow to a point that it can be studied and quantified that people grow through grief. But that doesn't mean that you are always grieving. It means that you process that grief, you take that time, you go through the steps, and you come out on the other side. And yes, there's the occasional sorrow, and there is the still the longing for that person that we have lost, but we don't have to grieve. I hope that you can understand the distinction there. If you have questions about it, email me at julie at buildalifeafterloss.com. I would love to hear your questions, your concerns, your thoughts. If this is helpful to you, again, if you have questions about it, I want to hear from you because I truly believe in you. I believe in you. I believe that you have a wonderful life ahead. Have a wonderful week.